Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us this morning to understand your word, and uh, we pray that we might be uh, impressed again by your magnificent love for your people and, uh, and even for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I like holidays. I like going on holidays. I like going away from home. But I do also like coming back home. Uh, I lived uh, my first 18 years in one house uh, in Carlingford, just uh, North Parramatta there. And I, I can still remember the feeling of coming back to that house after we'd been away. It was kind of a, a dark, cool sort of a house. And, and as we came home, I can still just get that sense, that feeling of, of comfort and of, uh, and of safety and of belonging. But of course, plenty of things can go wrong when you come home. I mean, I, I couldn't very well come back to my childhood home today. Imagine if I headed back there today. I, I don't know who lives there today, but imagine I head back there, I, I knock on the door, the current owner answers, I say, G'day, I'm home. Let me in. What's for dinner? Don't think it's going to work. Uh, do you? I'm not going to be welcomed back into my childhood home. You know, I might get welcomed to a home with men with white coats or something like that, but not back to my childhood home. Uh, or uh, I also remember when I got married. Um, I lived with my parents until I was married, and in the lead-up to the wedding, Cumberland and I, uh, we managed to locate a, a home unit in Meadowbank. It was a good deal, nice low rent, and so six weeks before the wedding, we signed the lease. Uh, my friend George, my best man, graciously came and, uh, and lived with me for those six weeks to keep me company and to help with the rent. Uh, so Caroline and I got married and we headed off on the honeymoon that I had very carefully organised in a caravan park in romantic Woolgooga. <laughs> As it turned out, I liked Woolgooga a lot more than Carmelina did. And so after many tears, we ended up coming home early from our honeymoon. Uh, we arrived back in Meadowbank, uh, ready to spend our first night together in our new home, ready to sleep for the first time in our new bed. So a long drive, got home, sort of uh, lateish at night, uh, got home, walked in the front door, walked into the bedroom, and there, fast asleep in our bed, was George. <laughs> he woke up. He said, hey, you're back early. Welcome home. Where are you guys going to sleep? <laughs> I said, I know where I'm sleeping, mate. <laughs> the question is, where are you sleeping? How'd you get? Uh, Coming home can sometimes have a few challenges. It's not always as simple as we might imagine. Well, in this uh, first section of the book of Ruth, two ladies come home. Uh, first, there's a lady called Naomi. Uh, she comes back to Bethlehem, her home, and she brings with her her daughter-in-law, this girl called Ruth, after whom the book is named. Uh, but as we'll see, with this homecoming... There are a few challenges. There is no guarantee that these women will receive a warm welcome home. First thing we see is that uh, this story, uh, it, it takes place in the time of the judges. That's going to be very significant, particularly for our third talk. It takes place in the time of judges. Now, time of judges, that's the time from when Israel enter the promised land under Joshua. Uh, right through until the time of the first kings. So you've got King Saul and King David. 
historically takes us from around about 1400 BC to around about 1000 BC. So if you think of King David, think 1000 BC. Uh, and then these particular events in, in the book of Ruth, they take place uh, late in the period of Judges, around about 1100 BC. Now, this period of the Judges was a period of great instability for Israel. Uh, they were in the Promised Land, but their place wasn't at all secure in the Promised Land. The people themselves, they kept on forgetting about God, they kept on worshipping idols, the idols of the nations around them. They kept making God angry, and so God kept handing them over to their enemies. They would suffer, they would struggle, they'd be in slavery, and then finally they'd cry out to the Lord and, and God would have mercy on them and he would raise up a judge to rescue them. But very soon, Israel would go back to their idolatrous ways. I don't know how many people were here when we um, did the book of Judges a few years ago, but you would vividly remember the, uh, the, the children's talks that Rebecca did about the cycle of Judges, about what was it, bad, mad, sad, glad, uh, rescuer, glad, and then, and then back again through the cycle, 12 times through the cycle in the book of Judges. And gradually, as the period of Judges passes, things just get worse and worse and worse for Israel. By the time of Ruth, things are really bad and Israel's place in the promised land is under threat. Uh, we don't know if God's going to let them stay there or not. Uh, Israel's place in their homeland is in serious jeopardy at this time of the book of Ruth. Now, as we come into the book itself, Israel is experiencing a famine, a shortage of food. And a man called Eli Melech from the town of Bethlehem, decides that he is going to take his family away from the Promised Land into the country of Moab. Now, geographically, the land of Moab is not that far away from Bethlehem. It's just on the other side of the Dead Sea. But, but theologically, these two places were worlds apart. The people of Moab, they didn't worship the Lord. They didn't worship Israel's God. They worshipped an idol called Chemosh. And they worshipped their idol in the most terrible and strange ways, including uh, sacrificing children to this idol. Now, Moab was a, a sworn enemy of Israel. And, and God refused to allow anyone from Moab to be part of his people. He, he, said, he said to his people, Israel, he said, I don't want you to be friends with these Moabites. I don't want you to welcome them. I don't, I don't want you to um, make treaties with them. I, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. God said, I put this on your outline. On the left-hand side, you'll see it there of the, uh, of the outline of the talk. God said to Israel, he said, No Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. At one point during the time of the judges, Moab actually attacked Israel and conquered them and enslaved them. And for 18 years, the Israelites were slaves of the Moabites until uh, uh, God raised up a judge by the name of Ehud to rescue them. This is a strange choice for Elimelech and his family to make. They are giving up the promised land for the land of Moab. They are giving up God's people for his enemies. They are giving up the Lord for Chemosh. The name Eli Melech, it means uh, El is God, E, 
put the E on it makes it my God, Eli, Melech is king. So it means my God is king. But you wonder who's God, Eli, Melech, who his God is. He's now gone to a place where the Lord is not worshipped as king, but where Chemosh is worshipped as king. They are abandoning God. They are going to a land of God's enemies. This is a bad call. And things don't go well. Have a look with me at Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Next thing in the story, we find out that God has again been merciful to Israel. He's provided food for them. And so Naomi decides to return home. Now, she's feeling um, quite bitter about how God has treated her. But even still, she decides that she will head home. Now, she starts off the the journey with her two daughters-in-law. But she knows that in Israel, they don't have any real prospects. I mean, they're Moabites, after all. And so she encourages them to head back to their own families, to their family homes. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? (coughs) Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. One of the girls, Orpah, she heads back to her family in Moab But the other girl, Ruth, she insists on staying with Naomi and going to Israel with Naomi. Uh, And she says she wants to become part of Israel. She wants to leave Moab and the idol Chemosh. She wants to join up with Israel and, and, uh, and with the Lord, become his person. 
Verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's actually an amazing statement of faith, this here. If you think about it, people say that the father of faith in the Bible is Abraham. Why did they say that? Well, what happened with Abraham? God asked Abraham to leave his country and his family and, and to go to the promised land. And, uh, and he promised that he would bless Abraham. And Abraham, in faith, he, he believed God's promises and in faith he did what he was told. But now look at Ruth. She is doing the same thing Abraham did. She's leaving her country. She's leaving her family. She's leaving her home. She is heading off to the promised land to seek refuge, to seek the blessing of God. And yet she has none of the promises that Abraham had. There is no promise to bless her. In fact, she has the opposite. God's word calls her an alien, a foreigner, an enemy. She has no right to be God's people. And yet here she is giving up everything and casting herself on the mercy of God. It's quite amazing faith. All right. Naomi and Ruth head back to Bethlehem. And uh, we see that Naomi is feeling very negatively about God, very bitter before we be too judgmental of her, we need to understand Naomi's situation in context here. Uh, Naomi has been left with no heir. Her husband has died. Her sons have died. Uh, her daughter-in-law is a, a Moabite. She has no right to inherit the land. And so when Naomi dies, someone else will inherit her family's place in the promised land. Or perhaps when the year of Jubilee comes, someone else will inherit her place in the promised land. She and her family have lost their place in the land. Now, if you think about it, she's actually in a similar position to Israel at this time in the book of Judges. Israel, because of their disobedience, their place in the promised land is under jeopardy. Well, now so is Naomi's. From an Old Testament way of thinking, she is under the judgment of God. Her family abandoned God, abandoned the land, and now it looks like she has lost everything. No wonder she's bitter. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means um, sweet or pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which, which means bitter. 
Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The, the, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Feeling very bitter. And yet still she comes home. So Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem. And, and then in this lovely part of the story, this series of apparent coincidences happen. So first, it, it happens to be barley season, a time when they're going to be able to survive. And, and, and Naomi happens to have a, a relative called Boaz. Uh, she sends Ruth out to, to, to pick up some leftover grain from a field somewhere as the harvest happens. And Ruth, um, Ruth happens... To, to, to land in the field of Boaz. And Boaz then just happens to arrive while Ruth is working there. And he encourages her to stay in his field and glean there for the whole harvest. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice something. Notice how Ruth is referred to right through this. The whole way through, it is made perfectly clear that she is a foreigner, that she is an enemy, that she is an alien. I think there are at least five or six references to her being a Moabite, uh, worse than a slave, a foreigner. On and on it goes. And yet, Boaz looks after her. And, and why? He says it very clearly. He says it's because of her faith. She has come to be a part of God's people. She has chosen to seek refuge in the Lord. And Boaz reckons that is the right call. Verse 22. So, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then... Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his, of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Okay, that's as far as we're going today. Can you, can you see what's here? Naomi and Ruth travel to Bethlehem from Moab to, to, to seek a home in Bethlehem, to seek refuge and blessing from the Lord. But there are some challenges to this homecoming. There's no guarantee of a warm, welcome home. I mean, Naomi, she, she has given up the promised land. She's headed to the land of the enemy for refuge and now it looks like her place in the land is gone. She's lost her place. She has no heir. When she dies, the land will be lost to her family. Naomi has left God's people and now she is under the judgment of God and she is feeling bitter. Her place in the land is under jeopardy. So what's going to happen? Will God accept her home? Or, or, or there's Ruth. The Moabite, the enemy, the foreigner. She has come to God's people and, and to God's land seeking refuge and protection and blessing. So, so what's going to happen? Will God accept Ruth? Will he give her a place among his people? Will, will he give her a home in the promised land? Are you feeling the suspense? Good. Come back next week and see what happens. <laughs> Same bat time, same bat channel. All right, well, let's think about what God's word here means for us today. As we come into the New Testament, we see that the, the, the Old Testament promised land is a picture of something bigger and better. It, the New Testament tells us that it, it, it foreshadows something bigger and better. It, the promised land in the Old Testament, it, it's a picture of a true and eternal home for God's people. Uh, to have an inheritance in the promised land, it's, uh, for, for an Israelite to have an inheritance in the promised land, that, that is a, a picture of an even greater inheritance. We actually saw it in 1 Peter. In fact, we've seen it twice this year because I made you do it at Easter as well. Do you remember? Uh, uh, Peter wrote, I've put this on your outline, third time we've done it this year. In his great mercy... God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, like the promised land, but bigger and better, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. If you trust in Jesus, the book of 1 Peter has told us that you have a home among the people of God. You have an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for you. You're now part of a, a royal priesthood. You're a people belonging to God. You, you look forward to Jesus coming back and bringing you to the Father's house where you'll be home forever. Coming home to Bethlehem is a picture of the ultimate homecoming where we put our trust in Jesus and come home to God. And, and so the, the big idea of this passage for us is this. Come home. Come home. Do, do what Naomi did. Do what Ruth did. Come home to God. For us, come home to God by putting your trust in Jesus. But I wonder, will there be any challenges to your homecoming. 
do you think you will receive a, a, a warm welcome home from God? Or maybe you feel a bit like Naomi. Maybe like Naomi left Israel, you're a person who has gone away from God and from his people. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family and you heard the Bible read day by day and, or, or maybe, maybe there was a time when you were a really keen Christian, you know, back at uni or something like that. that you, were, you were really full on about Jesus. But as the years gone by, you've drifted away. Maybe you've been a bit like that thorny soil that uh, Jesus talked about. Uh, other priorities have come into your life. You put other things before Jesus. Uh, maybe you married a non-Christian or you got caught up with pursuing a career. Uh, maybe in that time you were still calling yourself a Christian, but you know you were kidding yourself. In, in practice you were living as an atheist or at best an agnostic. You, you, you weren't relying on Jesus at all. Or maybe you were honest enough to admit it. You stopped even calling yourself a Christian does happen it's happened to some of us it's happened to some of our children it's happened to some of our grandchildren uh, like Naomi we have walked away from God question is will God welcome you home or maybe like Naomi you're feeling bitter life hasn't turned out as you hoped it would you didn't get that success you were looking for. Maybe you faced uh, tragedy or, or, or disappointment. And you are far from confident that God loves you or God cares for you. Like Naomi, you feel bitter. Again, the question is, will God accept you home? Or maybe your story is more like Ruth's story. Uh, you're an outsider. There's, there's no Christianity in your background at all. Maybe your family follow even a, a different religion. They're Buddhist or Taoist or Hindu or Muslim or something like that. Or, or, or maybe like me, you grew up in a, in a secular home where, where no one thought much about religion at all. The only time Jesus' name was mentioned was as a swear word. Whatever the story, whatever your story, you, you feel like an outsider to this Christian stuff. It feels very foreign to you. And I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a church on a Sunday. I was 21 years old. I was feeling very, very anxious about it. Uh, everything was strange. I didn't know what they did in this thing on a Sunday morning. They could have been sacrificing children as far as I knew. It was, it was quite a nerve-wracking experience. I did not feel at all at home. I felt very much uh, like a foreigner to it all. Do you think God will welcome you home? Do you think you have a place with him? Do you think you have a place in church among these people? Do you think you have a place in heaven when you die? Or, or like Ruth, do you feel like an outsider? You know, at this stage in the story of Ruth and Naomi, we don't know the answer for them. Spoiler alert, God's going to welcome them back. But, but we're left in suspense, all right? Come back next week anyway. But, but for us today, let me just show you one word from the Bible. I think it's one of the most precious words in the whole Bible. Let me show you one word in one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I've put it on your outline. 
all kinds of debates were happening in the first service about which word it is in this verse. See if you can work it out. John chapter 3, verse 16. Have a look with me in your outline. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As I say, there's just one word I want you to notice there. It's the word whoever. Whoever. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. That is God's promise. Do you know what that means? Friend, it means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter if you have walked away from God. It doesn't matter if you've never, ever known God. It doesn't matter how how bitter you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel like an outsider. If you put your trust in Jesus, God will joyfully welcome you home. In 1983, I, uh, I went and lived with a family in Malaysia for a couple of months. Had a great time. But I still remember coming home. Uh, my dad, who was never a man of much emotion or anything like that, but he came all the way out to the airport to pick me up. I think he was feeling very emotional. Um, and then when I arrived home, my mum my was there with my little brother and sister, and they were waiting, holding a big sign that my brother and sister had made saying, Welcome home, Jeff. And uh, everyone gave me a hug and a kiss. Uh, mum had my favourite meal cooked and ready for me, and my bed was all made up and waiting nice feeling. They didn't kill the fatted calf like the father of the prodigal son, but something like that. (laughs) Friends, the good news is this. God would love to welcome you home. Don't matter who you are or what you've done, he would love to welcome you home. So come home. Put your trust in Jesus and come home. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have done everything that it takes to be able to welcome us home joyfully. So Lord, we pray for each one of us, no matter who we are and no matter what we have done and no matter how we are feeling, that you give us the strength to do what Naomi did, to do what Ruth did, to come home to you. Help us to put our trust in Jesus and to take our place among your people now and to look forward to that time when Jesus returns and brings us to the Father's house forever. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. We come home to you in Jesus' name.